All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome welcome to you all. Thank you so much for joining and downloading another Mosby Learning Podcast. My name is Dan Hurd. This is episode number 35 of Mosby. Now, this is, this is, this is, I'm not going to call it a dream come true because I'm a grown-ass man and that'd be strange, but I'm looking forward to this particular conversation. Uh, and I am joined by a occasional co-host and co-conspirator, Betty Danowitz. Betty, how the hell are you? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you doing, Dan? I'm terrific. I'm terrific. Why am I so excited today, Betty? What's special? Because you're going to fanboy Kevin Thorne from here to eternity. Wow. And it's going to be amazing. If I'm I'm given a chance, if the universe says, hey, Dan, you want to try this? I'm going to say yes. Kevin, how are you? I'm good, Dan. How are you? And hello, (laughs) Betty. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm terrific. I'm thrilled to have you here. Um, yeah, this this is awesome. This is this is kind of part two for this particular trio of people. The first part of this you're going to catch, which was episode 47, 87? Mm, 67. One, close. 67. Uh, it was up there. Uh, episode was. 67 of uh, If You Ask Betty. And mm-hmm. um, so that's that's one of the things that people might know you from, Betty, is If You Ask Betty. That's true. They might know me from that. And maybe yeah. Mosby, because this is like my fifth episode. Yeah, yeah. One of these days you're just going to offer me that... Um, co that co job what is it co podcaster job that's the word co-host mm-hmm. co-ca- co-caster maybe that's it I mean, these days i don't the know co-caster i'll be the co-captain of the mosby <laughs> so in in that particular episode kevin you gave us just a terrific background of kind of your origin story your your uh, rebellious military background um and and all the things that kind of came with it and it was a really interesting story about how you got into the things that you do but in case somebody didn't happen to catch that particular episode of this you ask betty um how would you describe the things that you do (laughs) how do i describe the things that i do notice how i repeated the question to give my brain a chance to catch up with the answer (laughs) (laughs) uh how do i explain the things that i do um i'm ever so curious um, I have what I what I refer to as the uh, uh, creative curse. I'm always looking for creativity. I'm always observant, so I'm always looking for opportunity to be creative. In fact, I just mowed the lawn and I was in a rush because it's 95 degrees with heat index of 105, and I didn't want to do it, but I had to get it done before this. So I made a game out of, out of it to reward myself if I got done in a certain amount of time. And my reward is an IPA. There you go. Well, now that's interesting you bring up mowing lawns because that was kind of part of a big, a big milestone in your origin story that you kind of, you were mowing the lawn and you were kind of frustrated about something and you thought, well, how can I make a game out of this? Or what I'm games so do I see? Yeah, well, you, maybe you haven't got the final answer yet, but it was an interesting one because you turned that experience into an e-learning sort of adventure or an e-learning how to identify, I don't know, fescue or some business yeah, like yeah, that. Just, but, yeah, it, that was the anchor. That was the um, that was the project that essentially launched where I am today, uh, Mission Turf, Turf Grass. And um, just the, the unabridged high-level version, I'm mowing the lawn, about the same time of year, ridiculously hot and humid. Um, I was angry, not at the fact that I had a chore to do, but who came up with a manicured lawn in the first place? Whose fault was it that I'm out here mowing this lawn? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then the curiosity kicked in. And then as I'm mowing, I'm just thinking about why does my neighbor have different kind of weeds and a different kind of grass than I do? I got in that night after, you know, looking around, researching and realized that the turf grass business is a multi-billion dollar like industry. And it just kind of all came together that night. So I just do just tie my military sort of ideas, this mission turf grass, where you go on a recon around a typical urban neighborhood, identifying the different types of grass and weed. And, you know, from a learning context, you identify grass and weed. So you know what's going mm-hmm. on in your own yard. And then there's a couple other objectives about, um, you know, taking care of it, fertilizing, watering, that kind of thing. And then uh, all the tools and equipment, you know, the other enormous investment that you got to fill your garage with tools in order to take care of a lawn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what what year was it that you did this e-learning? It was 2010. It was actually um, <clears throat> Articulate Guru Contest back then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, now they call it e-learning know. heroes, right? I don't, I don't know that they actually have a contest now. They just okay. do a weekly sure. e-learning challenge kind of thing. Um, but in the I, and I, I was asking because, you know, at least in the in the U.S. in 2021, if you're going around trying to find grass and weed, it's a very different thing <laughs> than it was in 2010. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm from, I'm from the Detroit area, so that's, I, I mean, you can't walk down the street without smelling that. So, yeah. Anyways. Well, it's it was a different the, world. The, it is. The reward, um, because I was still, I was just freelance part time at a full time job. I was just freelancing at the time, not really sure that I wanted to freelance, not even closely remote, thinking that I would ever go full time. But um, Articulate did say the top twenty that got selected out of that contest would be on their website's showcase. So I thought, well, at a minimum, if I hit twenty, at least number twenty. I'll be able to get some exposure on their, you know, website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, ended up getting second place. And because of being second place, the top three got sort of extra exposure with kind of like a podcast, a blog article, yeah. uh, those kind of things. And then uh, emails started flying in after that. And then it was that um, about this time of year, around September. <clears throat> and then um, shortly after that, I said, hey, have you ever been to DevLearn? And I said, no, what is that? He says, you ought to come to DemoFest. And I said, okay, what is that? Well, you already built it. You don't have to do anything. Just submit it and come. So I went to the conference, DevLearn, for the first time in 2010 to go to DemoFest for the first time with that course. And it won Best of Show. And yeah, that was... That's pretty cool. That's It just took off from there. Yeah, that's pretty wild. And and you uh, you are the chief nugget head? The, is that, do I have it right? Chief I Nuggethead am. of uh, Nuggethead Studios, and that, that's that's and you create. Well, you don't just create grass-related um, e-learning experiences. <laughs> you, as far as I understand it, you, now you what is it? Uh, interactive, uh, interactive comics, interactive storytelling. What is is that kind of? Yeah, so it, it kind of back up just a little bit. When we were in, uh, I was still you know in the full-time day job. And I'm a lifelong comic enthusiast, artist, illustrator. And I was, I was, I was um, encouraged that I was allowed to implement some of my own visual creative ideas 
in the corporate space. And I started tinkering around with hand-drawn graphics as opposed mm. to your stock graphics. Yep. Um, and then it got me more into the idea what we're not telling stories enough. It's, mm-hmm. it's so dry narration. So I'm going to see if I can tweak the narr- tweak the, the script, if you will, and make it more narrative, more conversational to get more character involved. So I, I guess in corporate, my day job at the time back in, you know, 2010, 2011, around that area, I was doing a lot of experimenting. So then when I came out on my on full time, I had more control over one, what projects I choose to work on, but also I had more flexibility of pitching new creative ideas that somebody may have not been exposed to. That being instructional comics or using the comic medium to tell your story in a serious educational, informational, awareness, instructional format. And that led to uh, my first big instructional comic with the CDC on an HIV awareness campaign. Um, so we did a big, a big instructional story about a couple characters living with HIV. And that led to, you know, the, the American Pediatric, Pediatric Association that led to uh, the U.S. Navy Academy on um, event planning. Um, mm-hmm. It's led to um, work with USAID and some international stuff. I'm currently working on a big um, um, nursing or in infant mortality, reduction of infant mortality rates in northern India uh, with Indian culture, nurses and things like that at all. So I would say about one, maybe two a year, projects a year, that I get to do the full-blown instructional comic. Um, and then in between are all the traditional types of you know creative e-learning type projects. So, so you, you really uh, – you produce kind of a spectrum of things. You don't just focus on instructional comics. Uh, but no, no. You, you seem to be – well, as far as I can tell from the internet, you seem to be one of the main dudes that does that sort of that has found that intersection of, well, creativity and play. Is that, is that solving problems at the intersection of creativity and play? That's right. But, but you seem to be like the dude out there that's doing that, and I think that's that's a really really wild thing. Now you mentioned stories. You said we're not telling stories enough. I couldn't agree more. Um, and yet I find myself in a position where I can develop things for my organization, my nine to five. And I'm still not telling stories enough. So I think there, there might need to be some sort of actual effort that's put into it. And we almost follow the bouncing ball of the things that we create. Well, we'll just make more widgets like the widgets we've made because we made them quickish and we'll mm-hmm. just kind of go in a new direction. And right. one of the things that I do want to ask you and dig into a little bit, and we talked a little bit about this, you and Betty, last time we talked um, kind of about how to position it. Now, when you had spoke before, you had said, it's a little bit different. You find a little bit more leeway as an independent to pitch these sort of ideas because it's like it's like getting advice from someone that's not your spouse, I, I think is what it's like because your spouse gives you advice. You're like, okay, I, I, thank you. I'm going to do this on my own. But somebody else gives wow. you that advice and you're like, okay, okay, I see what you're saying. Maybe, maybe I'm part of the problem. But, well, Betty, you know this. You know. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. Um, so – do you find that you've been in a situation where you 
have had to try to pitch? Or what is a way that you can identify maybe the value prop? Maybe maybe if we look at the value prop of an instructional comic, if we can kind of focus there a little bit, what's the value prop of, of putting in the effort to something like that? Yeah, because comics are for kids. Obviously. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Obviously. I mean, isn't that, isn't that what, what corporate stuffy adults say is that comics are for kids and animation is for kids and cartoon or silly and things like that. Yeah. Yep. There, you know, and my reflection of that, that's, that's a narrow minded view because you're looking at one aspect or one domain of the comic medium or the cartoon medium. So it's much bigger than that. There are so many more components that comprise taking that visual medium and then you got the storytelling, the narrative, all of the other structural components that have to mesh together. So it's 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 not just flip a switch and oh, I've got this comic. You know, there's it's 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 a heavy lift in some mm-hmm. cases. So going back to your question, Dan, you know, how do, what's that value prop? A lot of times, I'll just listen to that initial request. You know, hey, I've got this project. Here's our problem. Let's do some analysis. Let's figure some things out. The tip, you do that regardless, right? When you start any e-learning type training program, we do the analysis, right? So we go through all that. And then based on the audience, based on the environment, based on the topic, then it's like, okay, I think we have an opportunity to make this into a comic and here's why. And then I'll lay out because it's scenario driven. Mm-hmm. We have characters that are carrying on dialogue between each other. Perfect example. That's probably the, the top of the list. Anything that's scenario driven, branch mm-hmm. scenario, whatever, um, those are perfect examples to introduce an instructional comic. Um, if you're doing something where it's uh, a very technical or complex topic that it's difficult to explain through narration and words on text on screen, um, with with hand drawn a comic medium, you there you transcend time and space. There's no boundary of any place you can go. So I can draw a, a very minute, complex idea, and visually take you where no other graphics can, along with the story, the characters, and, and so on like that. Um, additionally, characters. When we talk about character development, the character doesn't have to be. Um, traditionally humanoid. So a character can be an object. Uh, one of my favorite um, PPE e-learning courses that was kind of a comic medium, all of the characters were the PPE. So the goggles, the apron, you know, the gloves, mm-hmm. they were the characters. Mm-hmm. And then the story was told from the perspective of the gear. Mm-hmm. That's like, cool. So like, hey, wait, wait for me. Like the gloves laying on the counter. Hey, hey, you forgot me. Oh, oh man, again, they left me on the counter again. Don't they know how important I am? So then you go in, they're telling this story from the perspective of how important they are to the, to the equipment and why you should wear me, why you mm. should put me on. So by flipping the story and flipping the perspective and changing up the characters, you have a whole different experience and arguably one that's more uh, uh, attention getting, engaging, and you know, all the buzzwords yeah. fill in the blank. 
Um, one of the one of the things that I think I really like about it, and actually at, at your advice, believe it or not, your repeated advice, because I heard you say the words before, but I didn't do it, and then I did. I went out and bought Understanding Comics. Not that awesome. that yeah, like you a did. Challenge, yeah, but mm-hmm. I, I did, and it's a great book. It's it's uh, for for those of you that have not had the privilege yet. It's written by Scott McCloud, and no doubt you can just type in the words Understanding Comics into uh, Amazon or your search engine of choice. And uh, what it does is it walks through in a really, really nice way, kind of a little bit of the history, where they came from, how they're divided up, kind of it talks a little bit about genres, but more how the cultural impact, how they've been divided up um, and how they're different across the globe, along with the major, major building block components and and the things that they mean. And, And there's a lot more to them. Of course, you know, anything that you don't really know about, there's obviously more to it than, than you thought. But even the one chapter, I think it's called Blood in the Gutter, and it's about even the gap between the cells. And that's something that I wouldn't have considered to, to warrant discussion prior to reading that book, you know, and that, that, that was really fascinating to kind of to get that piece pulled apart there. Um, and Betty, you had read that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that it explains comics in the comic format. Yeah. Making it about as as real as possible, yeah. And and because of that, you know, there's even a couple sections in the back that I think do a good example. Well, one that I saw earlier as I was going back looking through the notes, he, he explains uh, Scott McCloud again, the author and an illustrator. I think he does both. Um, yeah, he he explains that there's six major components, and uh, there's one which is having the idea and the purpose. There's another one which is the form. And, and I'm not going to explain all these because I don't grasp them good enough yet to explain them properly. But then one is idiom, one is structure, one is craft, and one is surface. And he's trying to kind of describe people that maybe glom on to a particular piece and say, ah, yes, I've got it. And then he drew a, a young boy that wanted to show an, uh, a, a professional like his version of their work. And he had a little box with the number six over the kid's head. To, and to, to just put those two concepts together, that this kid has seen the world through the lens of six. And that's, that's kind of where he's at right now. Um, and I think that pictures, well, the visual form really lends itself to that. And so I think that there's, um, there's just a lot of opportunity to convey so much more messaging at a pace that fits the learner using mm-hmm. this format. Great. You know? I think I think uh, one of the things that we see very often are explainer videos with, and you had kind of mentioned that a good scenario where uh, comics or instructional comics might fit it is where the word alone isn't enough. But you know, a lot of times you'll see maybe they're marketing sort of things too, but you'll see the animated words pop up on screen and go away. And I do that stuff too, you know. But as soon as it pops up and goes away, well, it's replaced with something immediately after that. And, and it's kind of chewing into me and Betty, were had a, we had a different conversation uh, about kind of the things about video you didn't know. And, and as you keep getting more video, the tail thing of you, ju- you just learned, it's, it keeps burning up behind you and you mm-hmm. keep forgetting it. And you can't just flip back four pages and look at the thing, you know. Um, where, did you, where did you get the idea of, of putting the two things together? Instruction well, in comics. Yeah, I, I guess I'm saying it like it's your idea. Whoa, whoa, why? <laughs> well, isn't it? Isn't where's it? The, like, where's the reason? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that was Kevin's that, idea. To be clear, we <laughs> never he never claimed that, folks. Um, but why did that idea find its way into your head? 
Uh, no, no answer. That goes back to that creative curse. It's, it's always something that right? yeah. says do more, figure something out, be different, differentiate yourself, uh, innovate, you know, all of those, you know, again, fill in the blank buzzwords. And I, and, and one of the things that you've got understanding comics, so just kind of going back to Scott McCloud, Scott McCloud is, is comes from a family of engineers. So he grew up around the science and the engineering of things. And he's one of, I don't know how many brothers that decided to get an engineering degree, but then become a comic artist. Hmm. So what he does in that book is he breaks it down from an engineering perspective. So if that helps as you're reading through it, he, he, he's an artist and he knows how to draw and he knows how to write, but he's an engineer at first. Um, so understanding those comics, understanding the mechanics behind it, then when you're looking at script and you're looking at story and say, okay, now here's how I can treat this story because I understand the mechanics of how to put it together. And, and because I'm just a lifelong lover of comics, all types of comics, each comic has a different, each author have a different style. There's different art. There's different ways of, of presenting it. But with e-learning, we have this one screen and mm-hmm. we can do, you know, we can do panel, 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 click the page, panel, 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 panel. Well, then you're just doing a, it's no different than click next page turner, right? Right. I'm just page, I'm just turning a comic book page. So how do you take um, the interactive side of, of e-learning, good, engaging, you know, interactive e-learning, take good storytelling and then present it in the comic medium, in an, in mm-hmm. an artistic medium. So the, the artistic comic medium is just the layer. It's a presentation layer. All the mechanics underneath, you're going to do anyway, whether you go source photos or source stock art or you you go build it in Beyond and one of the, you know, the, the, the tools that's got all the bits and pieces there for you. You still have to do all that work on the front end. Custom instructional comics or informative comics is you're doing all the custom art as well. Mm-hmm. That art is specific to that sentence and that script on that screen. So it's completely unique and completely carrying you forward. Now that kind of segues into what you were saying about animations and, and different things like that. Um, and I can't recall now that I'm trying to think of it, but there's some evidence that suggests that adult learners, um, you have to catch, you have to capture their attention within three, three to five seconds, like right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to hold them for another three to five seconds. And then that peak is going to start going down. And you've got, you've got a peak and valley between seven and 10 seconds for the entire length. Mm-hmm. So every seven to 10 seconds, you're losing attention. So you got to do something visually to bring it back up catch their attention again, whether that's an interactive element, whether that's uh, changing screens, whether that's uh, playing a video, something that engages the learner or visually changes on screen that changes their attention. You're looking at mapping all of that out. So you think of a a 15-minute module and you divide that by 7 to 10 seconds. You can imagine how much artwork you have to create in order to manage that time. And that's, that's where a that's, that's a custom, right? So that's, that's the heavy lift custom, full on custom job, right? 
<clears throat> there are there are cheats and ways the ways we can do that. Where we uh, one project I was just finishing up, um, we we had a very minimal budget in terms of custom art was concerned. So we came, we got really creative with um, poses and gestures that we had one character, but then I can flip the character for one side of the screen versus this side of the screen. Same exact poser and gesture, but a different look. And Betty, and I know we can't see Betty right now, but you have a ponytail hanging down one side of your shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is actually a perfect element to use because if I were to flip you, your ponytail would be on the wrong shoulder. So you can't do that visually because like, oh, wait a minute, the ponytail was on that uh-huh. side. It was flipped the character. So the ponytail would be its own independent piece of artwork. So then when I flip the character, I just move the ponytail over as well. Now the ponytail is always laying over the same shoulder, but I've got two different characters, but only drawn one time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. I see. So that's the engineer. That's the mechanics behind it where you can <clears throat> you can save time and effort and cost in developing the artwork, but then manage it in such a way where you have multiple gestures and poses. So the engineering piece, and it's interesting you mentioned the way that Scott breaks that down with those various, those six things that I said I didn't fully understand yet. One of them happens to be, I don't know if it's idiom or structure, but I kind of want to go back to the storytelling piece because you're saying on the front end, it can look like stock image or it can look like custom art or or clip art or photos of you and your friends and then you just kind of act it out. But you still have to figure out how the hell to build that thing, Think, thinking maybe like an engineer. And that story structure piece is something I wanted to talk to you about. And this is, uh, I, I've been wanting to talk to you about this for a little bit because it's something that I've been interested in. I, I've been fascinated by Joseph Campbell. Uh, and kind of his role that he's played in the world uh, and kind of creating the or, or identifying, maybe that's a better word, identifying the hero's journey. Is that something that you ever um, you ever use to kind of influence the arc of the characters in the work that you do? Or, or is there a structure or do you just kind of let the work take it where it goes? The latter. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you start out with the traditional story arc with you got to have, you know, the hero's journey or whatever type of story arc, what yeah. you're doing, you're forcing the mm-hmm. instructional content into the story arc and it's going to look and sound forced. Um, so you start out with an idea. Sure. Um, one of the, one of the things that we do, um, we'll take, uh, and again, it just depends on which client I'm working with. Sometimes a client will take a stab at writing their own script, their own, their own way. And then they'll give it to us or we'll take a stab at writing the script and then they'll look at it and make correct us based on technical writing and accurate acronyms and culture and all those types of things. Mm-hmm. So give an example. I'm working with a client right now. They, they did the initial script writing, sent it to me, and it sounds like an academic lecture. And I told him so. I said, so if I were to read this out loud to you back, how engaging would it be? Because you're referencing, you're, you're citing uh, reference uh, articles during the script. People don't read that way. Or, or people don't talk that way. People read that way, but they don't talk that way. Yeah. So we have to write this in a way that you're talking, not reading an academic article. So I said, okay, well, how do we do that? Well, the first thing is we do is we do a table read. 
where we actually talk out loud. We read the script on a Zoom call or something, and we talk out loud. All right, your turn. You read this paragraph. All right, your turn. You read this paragraph. How does that sound? Oh, my gosh, that's dry. Okay, let's rewrite it. Let's rewrite. We got to keep the context of that paragraph, but let's write it as if I'm, I met you at the grocery store and we're standing in line. Let me tell you the story. So it's, it's about storytelling in that, not getting in all the mechanics of storytelling and all that, because most of the time, um, you know, the, the team I work with, yeah, we understand all that, but the clients don't understand that. And they're interested and they're eager, but they don't have time to really learn it at the level that that's what we're, that's the consultant in us. That's what we're for. Right. Yeah. So if you just look at your own experiences, you go uptown, you run an errand, you come home, you tell your wife, oh my gosh, you should have seen this kid. He was out in the parking lot and he was pushing all these carts and helping the guy that worked there. And he was like, just running around pushing carts and like, okay, that's a story. Well, it's it's an experience that you're sharing with somebody, but you're telling it in storytelling way. Mm. So that's when you have to put that hat on, take raw content, table read it out loud, and then try and then change it up out loud. You, you do a table read. So if you think of um, playwrights when they do stage plays and things like that, screenplays, that's a practice they do. They do table reads because mm-hmm. they want to hear the characters. How do they sound together? You know, the emphasis in voice and who's angry and who's not and who's who's sad and who's shy and the emotions in the voice. So you want to pull that out while you're doing the table read so you can make notes. Okay, we need a really strong, confident tone in the voice here. Hmm. And then here we need more of a enthusiastic, exciting, you know, inspirational tone in the voice here. And you make those notes along the side and you I mean you just keep working and fleshing all that out until you get what sounds like a story. Now, now you've got a story. When you say to have a tone in there, uh, are you talking about in the writing or are you talking about a scenario where we're using maybe still images or slightly moving images and you've got voiceover going along with this? Yeah. So the tone is, is in the writing. It's okay. Um, have you ever, um, have you ever been a- accused from your teenager in a text messages that I really don't like your tone? Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How do you know idea, what my yeah. tone is from a text message? Yeah. But then when you go back and reread it, you know you're thinking faster than you're writing in a text. So yeah. what comes through in the writing has a tone to it. Mm-hmm. Right? So our yeah. writing, when we're writing scripts, has tone. So we think about the character, the position they're in, what are they trying to convey at that moment, what message they're trying to say. And then we we change up the adjectives, add an exclamation. We just, you know, give it some tone. And then when we do the table read, you act it out now because that's the voice actor. It doesn't matter who's recording it at that point. It's just you want to act it out and then you can then you can start fleshing it out and making, you know, sidebar notes on what you want. So the script writing um, is equal as amount of effort as the art in a lot of ways. Yeah, I bet. And the, the script writing is an art in and of itself. And I think that a lot of people just don't take the time to do a table read, to make notes about inflection, to, to notice like what type of mood this person is in. For example, um, I know I've written scenarios in the past, right. And they, they come, they're just kind of flat, right. You give them to the e-learning developer. He, you know, 
figures it out and puts it in there. And it just, it, you read through your own emotions. So I only pick up the emotions that I have at, at the time. But I've also done projects like for virtual reality experiences that are fully immersive, where they have not one, but two people that are on the team in charge of just writing the narrative. Like that's their whole job is to write the narrative, make sure it's consistent. And then we do table reads every time we're together. And it sort of helps, it, it sort of unlocks the emotion and helps you sort of feel the experience. And so, so two very different ways to do it. They're both going to end up in a finished product, but I'll tell you what, the virtual reality one, way better, way more relatable. So you're, you're, you're on a key thing here. So if you think about it, right? So a virtual reality experience where there's two people working full time to write a narrative. Mm -hmm. If you look at video games, you know that there's full time writers that do nothing but write the story. That's all they do. That's all they do. We just talked about stage rights, playwrights and screenplays. That's their job. They write the story. Yep. So my encouragement to our listeners is step out of our world, get out of instructional design, get out of e-learning and go spend time in other worlds and bring back those skills and bring back those techniques. Because you just admitted, we've got you on recording, that mm -hmm. VR narrative is much more of an immersive experience. Absolutely. So if that is true, then let's take that skill set or let's take that process, mm -hmm. pick it up and put it over here in e-learning with the same level of effort that you would put or time cost, you know, all that kind of mm -hmm. the effort would be to write a narrative and say, oh, by the way, how am I going to present it? In the VR case, we're going to put it in a VR experience. Right. In that case, we're going to draw a bunch of comics and, and lay on top of that. And, yeah. and most most of the time, though, we're all learning specialists, which is just another word for generalist. So because of that, right. we don't have the talent, we don't have the time, we definitely don't have the money to 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 bring in somebody to write full time. In fact, when I see job openings for learning specialists, I'm going to keep doing the air quotes, even though nobody can see me. Um, she's it, not it, actually know, doing air quotes, folks. She's not. No, she's yes, not. I am. <laughs> These aren't bunny ears. These aren't just wiggly bunny ears. Um, like, uh, you know, it, it totally messed me up. What was I saying? Oh, I always <laughs> see like a call for technical writing. Yeah. Which I appreciate. Oh, those are different beasts. Yeah. Very, it's very different. I mean, yeah. if, uh, if I it, honestly, if I see a job posting for that says technical writing, I'm like, oh, they just want me to make manuals. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I used to be a technical writer. And, mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with being a technical writer, but there's yeah. a time and place and it's not, cre it's not creative. Please tell me that you agree, yeah. Mr. Nuggethead. That's, a, that's process writing. It is. It absolutely is. Mm. And so while that's necessary, typically that lives more with a product department or it just doesn't doesn't typically live live with learning and development if you're really creating creative branching scenarios. Um, so so it's hard it's hard Dan because people can't wrap their head around the fact that there's actually people out there, their whole job is just to write a narrative. Yeah, I I I hear that, and that sounds like just the most wild of luxuries that I have right. ever <laughs> ever bougie. imagined. It's bougie yeah. to have it's someone little, there to write your bougie. narrative. Uh, I, I, and I want to be very clear about the uh, generalist. I, I'm I'm very pro generalist, and I think that if more people were generalists, we'd probably be in a better place in general. Um, and wow. I think that there's still opportunity 
to well it's not a bad thing right i mean the problem is it doesn't seem to imply depth in any particular area mm-hmm. but that that comes with experience that comes with hobbies like if if i didn't do hobby podcasts i probably wouldn't do a work podcast right, right. They, i just wouldn't have had the skill set i wouldn't have had the tools so i think that there's going to be certain people that gravitate to it kevin like yourself on the end of a pen or a pencil found you kind of where you are now it's the it's the hobbies that drive us and there's going to be some people sure. that find their way very very deeply sure. into that yeah. yeah we can draw we can draw from every every hobby interest whether it be music gardening cooking you know it doesn't matter. You can draw from those experiences and bring them in. I want to go right down the middle, though, between the two of you. I, I lean towards the generalist, and then I'm saying, you know, I don't know. I'm not real big on the generalist idea. Mm-hmm. But I do think, yes, in today's world, instructional designer or whatever title you are, yeah. I do think you need to have a very well-rounded understanding and knowledge of all of the pieces from A to Z. Mm-hmm. Agreed. You need to know how to have those conversations on analysis. You need to know all of the theories and design and instructional. You need to be able to write competently. You need to have some fundamental understanding of graphic design. Um, Mm -hmm. You need to have some decent skills in e-learning development, tool of choice. Yeah. More importantly, you need to have the understanding on the back end. How does it, how does it, where does it live? How does it communicate? How does it, the technology behind it, the learner environment, the evaluation, the assessment on the back end? So we need, I think we generally, we need to know all of that at a level that you can sit at the table and have that conversation. Yes. Mm-hmm. However, find your niche in that spectrum. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you have a general understanding and knowledge between A and Z and you're really good at Q, then put some focused time on the letter Q yeah. and become the best at it. And then once you become a master at Q, if you got time, let go back to letter L and say, okay, I want to be really good at L and Q. I'm still going to have this knowledge. So I think that's going back to Dan, what you were saying. I think that takes, that takes time. That takes experience. So it yeah. takes years to develop over it time. Does. To get to Long that. time. And you, you'd kind of grazed against deliberate practice, which is which is something that, you know, people that have a hobby, it might not be deliberate practice. You're not trying to draw perfect circles all the time unless you are. Um, but something that I found was interesting that I've done a couple of times is NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. I don't know if either of you guys are familiar with that. Uh, NaNoWriMo is is something that is so it's 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 not an acronym because it's like two letters and two letters and two letters but it's National Novel Writing Month NaNoWriMo and okay. what the idea is is within the month of I don't know where the hell I heard of it but um, within the month of November the idea is you crank out fifty thousand words in an attempt to write a novel. Now I've done this two times. And not, I, I'm not, tr- I'm not trying to brag. That is incredible, but I'm not bragging about it. Um, it's What's not that, that acronym again? Na- NaNoWriMo. So it's N-A-N-O-W-R-I-M-O. NaNoWriMo. And uh, it, it ends up being, I think, 1,666 words a day throughout uh, throughout November. It, it's, it's hard. It's a dedication. And um, mm-hmm. the thing is... E- 
I think I think Jerry Seinfeld said something like this too. But the the idea is the more stuff you do, eventually there's going to be a couple gems in there, and you're going to figure out a couple things. And I really thought that that experience was a great experience for developing multiple voices to to try to because because if you have to tell a story and there's like five main characters, well now you have to come up with different perspectives, and it helps kind of in that writing thing. So I mean that's my two cents for anybody that wants to try that. Kevin, no, what are your I, thoughts? I totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. It, the, the more you do something writing, the more you write, the better writer you become. Obviously. Yeah. Right? So what were your novels about that you wrote, Dan? Oh uh, <laughs> well, the first one. It, the first one, I didn't have a plan. They were very different novels and they weren't really novels. I mean, I got partway through. By the time you finish 50,000 words, you're like, okay, I'm done. Uh, it's like finishing a marathon and saying, I'm done running. But uh, the first one Oh, I've one done was that. Like, That's a different yeah. podcast. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, the first one was supposed to be like an uh, a retail based comedy thing, but then there was this weird sci-fi element with aliens. Uh, and the second one, the second one was actually, hey, speaking of comics- it was a, a fan fiction, Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, are either of you Calvin and Hobbes fans? Okay. Do you remember his character? He was like the uh, the private eye tracer bullet. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just okay. for reference, it was Kevin that raised his hand as the Calvin yes. and Hobbes. Thank you. Yeah. So, yep. so tracer bullet, my idea was it was Calvin and Hobbes grown up. He wasn't tracer bullet, but he started his own little detective agency. And there was different, Uncle Max was a character that was in there. And uh, that one, I actually spent a lot of time prepping for. And so it was a lot more, I think, enjoyable to write because I wasn't on the edge of my pants the whole time. Um, Uh Edge of my seat, seat of my pants. I don't know. I liked the edge of your pants. I was trying to figure out how that works, but hey. <laughs> you got to be really stiff pants. Oh, well, maybe it might have been a Canadian thing. So. <laughs> but anyways, I found them both to be really rewarding experiences that helped me develop. Uh, I never read them out loud, but some sort of dialogue. So what is, I'm going to ask both of you guys, because we've talked a little bit about comics, but I think the thing that needs to come before the comic is the writing. So what is it that you guys would suggest doing to develop those writing skills, those narrative and story kind of application skills? Um, maybe I'm going to go to Betty first and then, and then Kevin uh, to, to blow us both away. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm glad you picked me first because I do think that Kevin's going to have a much more academic and uh, holistic answer because my first thought is if you want to get better at storytelling, you have to tell more stories. And you have to be willing to tell the same story over and over and refine it. Um, an example, I used to teach emotional intelligence uh, back in the day, Talent Smarts version. And I added a piece to the course where I told a story that that brought in all four elements of emotional intelligence. And it's the story of the craziest job interview that you've ever heard of. And I got to the point where I could tell that story and they would be so enthralled, like just like they just, just, it's hard to explain over radio or podcast, like just holding their breath, waiting for the punchline. And that's because I told that story at least 75 times. And it's a, it's a seven to 10 minute story, depending on how much I trail off. So my first, my first thought is you got to tell more stories and be willing to tell them over and over again. And if people say you already told me this story, say, I know, but I'm practicing. You have to listen anyways. 
Yeah, story, storytelling. Uh, I'm actually kind of doing a bit of a deep dive for a different podcast about Norm MacDonald. And he's one of those guys that will tell a seven-minute story on Conan O'Brien for a complete throwaway punchline. Yes. But the story is fascinating just because of the crafting of it, you know? Yeah. Kevin, what are your, what are your thoughts? Oh, my goodness. I'm going to go down a rabbit hole here. There's a couple things. So first, I totally agree with Betty. Um, to be good at anything, you have to practice doing that thing. So to be a good storyteller, you have to tell more stories. Um, how many of you have small children in your family that, that are re- read it relatively available? Nope, yeah, not me. I, just I Dan. Do. My kids yeah. are growed. You can use my well, kids, they, Betty. Don't worry. Kids love, love what you. Did you s- hold on. Whoa, whoa. What did you say? If you need to tell a story to someone, my kids are available. It's fine. Oh, I thought you said I could have more kids. And I was going to be like, don't put that. Oh, don't say those words no. to me. I'm sorry. Whew, I got upset. Okay. Everything's fine. Now that we've unpacked you Betty's were, Kevin. baggage. Uh, Kevin, back to you. <laughs> yeah, no. So i give you an example. I, I just spent a week with my granddaughters, nine and seven. And when we talked a minute, uh, you know, hey, Gramps, uh, tell me a story. Mm-hmm. And you know, at one point you're like on the spot, right? Like, oh gosh, I got to come up with a story. So um, that's, you know, just those off the cuff, tell me a story. Mm-hmm. That's that's a creative restriction, right? It's a creative challenge. You, you know how to tell a story. You've told them all your life. But to be put on the spot to tell a story, then that's a creative challenge. Yeah. Um, another exercise, uh, there's several exercises I'm going to share with you. Um, another exercise, <clears throat> um, there's a card game, uh, look up on a Kickstarter called Story Deck. Um, and Story Deck is a deck of cards that you play and then they're fixed <sighs> over different uh, I ideas. I play that. Um, and then from those ideas, they, it's a, you, you have to build the story arc and build the story. Hmm. Um, Love so that. Use things like that. If you don't want to invest in a card game like that, just get some index cards and um, write some character names, some adjectives, some nouns, some different things, right? Shuffle them all up, um, toss them on the table, and then four cards, tell a story. So it's kind of uh, like Mad Libs meets Cards Against Humanity. Or maybe yeah. Apples to Apples if we're being clean. Uh, what's that? Uh, dice game? Gosh, it's... Ro- Rory's Story Dice? Those? Oh, yeah, story Dungeons cubes. and Dragons? Story Cubes. Story, yeah, yeah, story yeah. Cubes. No, not everything is Dungeons and Dragons, Dan. <laughs> You said dice game. <laughs> um, story cubes is an excellent way to practice storytelling. Excellent way. Um, some more practical ways. Um, uh, a news article. News is great. Media. Uh, doesn't matter if it's sports, entertainment. True, culture, false. Right. You know, political. It doesn't matter what the article, what the story is. But those those articles are written to be read. Mm-hmm. So read them out loud and then recraft them as if you're going to go, hey, I just read an article about X. Let me tell you what I just read. So you're going to retell what you read, but you're going to retell it in a story. How many times do we do that? Mm-hmm. I just read about this. Let me tell you what I just read. And you're, you're rephrasing what you read, but in a storytelling way. We do it naturally. But if you focus on doing it that way, you become skilled at doing it. Yeah. That's so a great, that's a great suggestion. That's a, And then finally, um, I do it all the time. So get, get a random pile of Lego. <laughs> How did I know Legos was going to end up in this conversation? Just, just pick up, get a bucket. Just doesn't matter. A pile. 
and then close your eyes and grab five pieces. Doesn't matter. And then put those five pieces together. Then put the pile off to the side, and now you have this weird-looking thing that you created with five random pieces of Lego. Then, same thing, you get a deck of cards, index cards, and you write down some things like um, paper airplane or paddleball game or mother-in-law or smoothie machine. You just come up with these random names and you put on these cards. Shuffle them up, flip them over. So if it says smoothie machine, this Lego is now a smoothie machine prototype. Tell me the story on how it works. So now you're metaphorical storytelling through a 3D object mm. and you're looking at it and you have to tell me what this story is right here in this object. And then flip the, mess the cards up again, kind of same object, but now it's a different name. Now it's a paddleball game. Why is this a paddleball game? And then you tell a story. Where Great did you get exercises, I'm telling you, they'll Did you invent that they'll exercise? They'll take you in the state of directions you didn't realize you could go. I mean, I can imagine you start with nothing. It's like a Rorschach. Um, it's like a Lego Rorschach sort of adventure. Did, did you build that exercise or did you learn that somewhere? No, no. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I am. He's uh, obsessed with Legos. Lego Serious Play Certified Facilitator. <laughs> so I actually went to school to learn how to do this. Holy Jesus. Uh, but it, it is one of the techniques to help store metaphorical storyteller, become a metaphorical storyteller. Um, so that's one technique. There's several others that we use to, to help you do that. Um, so I'm going to throw one more on the pile before we go any further. So, yeah, you got to be able to tell your stories over and over. But reading stories helps, too. Not only reading so that you you ingest what, a, what the format of a story is, but reading it to other people helps you tap into the emotion because you'll eventually use uh, voices and things like that. So um, my favorite, my kid's favorite book, was called Honey Bunny, Funny Bunny. Um, do you know this book? Kevin, you smile. No. Okay. Honey, funny, honey, funny, honey, bunny. It's great. Honey, bunny, funny, bunny. And I had it memorized, but I had to read it in a certain way with the voices over yeah. and over and over and that's the again. Voice and the tone, yeah. and all that. Right. So if I if I had the book, but without the words, I could probably still ten, twelve years later re read you, Honey Bunny, Funny Bunny. I just need the visual cues. My cousin actually has a YouTube channel called Miss Genie Storytime with Miss Genie, and she reads stories and she just basically captures her voice. And then she captures just the picture of the pages. Hmm. Her, um, what is that? What is the famous Dr. Seuss one? Just went out of my head. One fish, one fish, blue fish. No, not that one. The, the cat in the hat, maybe. I think it might be the cat in yeah. the hat. Yeah. The last time I checked has 1.7 million views. Good for her. She just, re like, and it's not like she's not making all her money on this. It's just she was a school teacher and yeah. now she's not. And so this is something that she does because she loves books. And Have you heard, you heard of the uh, Dr. Seuss rapper? No. Yes. That guy's so weird. Sounds really yeah. fun, though. That was really good. He does the same thing. He does, um, he puts a little rap music That's behind so it. That's so fun. And then he raps the rhythm, the rhythm mm -hmm. of the Dr. Seuss books. That's awesome. And one fish, blue fish, cat in a hat. I mean, they, they've yeah. got rhythmic, the rhythmic yes, tone. Yes, they do. Anyway. They do. Yeah. 
Anyways, the last thing I would say about that is I actually used to, when I would train new facilitators and we would talk about storytelling, one of their assignments was to find a story on Storytime with Miss Jeannie and watch it and just listen to the difference in the voice, in the inflection, and how it's different than just reading the words off the page. So. Mm So, there, so I guess we've answered your question in a lot of ways. Like there's technique. There's also, you know, just creativity. There's a lot to it. I don't you know that you it. meant to talk about storytelling this much today. No. Uh, I mean, you answered it so thoroughly. I almost regret asking it. That was great, though. Mm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am, I am going to come around with, I think, my last question here. And it's. Um, you know, you, you said you said something in one of your notes there, Kevin. You said something about a restriction. Uh, oh, maybe it was about um, the the Lego thing. And it got me thinking, as somebody's kind of getting into this sort of – because this is – this is going to be new for everybody at some point because like, nobody just makes instructional comics as a thing that they do unless they're Kevin Thorne. So what sort of restrictions would you encourage a novice or an amateur to put on themselves to try to focus in on how to approach their first instructional comic? Well, there's all – I mean, we've talked about script writing. We talk about storytelling. We've talked about the art side of it. Um yeah. Those are probably the three main components, aside from the instructional, you know, all of the other instructional components of it. Um, from the art side, I would just start with stick figures, um, kind of like your characters, heads with legs. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, but but think of a think of a face character, right? We've got all of the you know the components: the eyes, nose, mouth, ears, neck, head, hair, all that, right? <clears throat> How much of that is the most expressive? What's the most expressive of the facial features? I'd say the eyes, if I had to guess. Yeah. Easy guess, right? So don't draw the nose, ears. Leave them out. Just a circle with eyes. And then play around with moving the eyes. What does angry look like? So think of emoticons. What does angry look like? What does happy look like? What does surprise look like? And practice expressive eyes. And they're just circles with dots or squinty lines, or wide eyes, or small pupils. So play around with that, because that's the expression. And you can tell a story through the expressiveness of a character without words. Mm -hmm. You know, like a surprise or something, you know. Um, Then as you go along, you can add, then the second would be the mouth, where you've got sort of a, a, a stiff upper lip, or a big grin, or a big smile, or, you know, a wide open surprise mouth. So those two components or those two elements of a head, restrict yourself just to those two and get good at those. And then you can you can add the, the ears and a nose. That's just details. So that's just extra lines. Um, so, and again, it goes to that creative storytelling, going back to uh, where we were talking about those exercises, whether you use story cubes or mm-hmm. uh, uh, using Lego, whatever. Um, the restriction would be put a time limit on it. Give yourself mm. 30 seconds. I've got to tell this story in 30 seconds. And you're and basically you're surprising yourself because you don't know what's coming. You're flipping a card over. Yeah. So you don't know what's coming. And say, okay, and then put a timer. I've got 30 seconds to tell a story. Record yourself. Listen back to yourself. Oh, that was a really that was a bad story, man. I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's that was really crazy. And then you go through and say, like, oh, that was kind of fun. And then, then you grab a hold of the ones that you enjoy listening back to. Say, well, now how can I improve on that? And then that's just 
I can, like all of us, right? We, we have experience. We have all these skills. We have this knowledge that we can share and teach others. Mm-hmm. What I can't teach is time and practice. So to be good at this, you have to identify, you have to commit to the time to practice. And it's continuous practice over and over again. If you, if you choose to want to get really good at this yeah. or anything for that matter. That's the money Thanks. statement right there. That's going to be in the preview for the podcast. Are we doing previews now? You do I don't previews? know. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. Uh, Betty, I want to add on something what Betty said a while ago. You know, to, to uh, be good at a good storyteller, you got to tell more stories. Yeah. So to be good at a good comic storyteller, read more comics. Mm-hmm. But don't read Avengers and the Hulk and things like that. <gasps> go, go, find, go find serious comics on serious topics and I just got this one in the mail uh, March by John Lewis and John Lewis is the writer mm. you haven't seen it it's about the, the March in Selma, Alabama and it tells the story through his eyes oh, that's wild in comic format so this awesome. is what's referred to as a in, when I would put this in a genre it's a serious comic about a serious topic mm-hmm. um, and it's under the informational awareness genre I'm not instructing you on to, to, to change some kind of behavior. Well, maybe after you read this, but um, it's more about awareness or informational. Mm-hmm. And just think about how many topics in our world that fall into that genre. For so sure. Reading these types of comics takes you out of that fictional storytelling and takes you into narrative, serious storytelling. Very cool. Very good. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, Betty, any uh, any last comments? Any last remarks? Oh, oh I only to think of a good smart remark. Um, just, I mean, it's been a great conversation. I love that we ventured off into storytelling, even though we started with comics and um, that we played with Legos or at least talked about it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I've geeked out with you guys and loved every second. And if, gone. you know, you're ever looking for a permanent co-host, mm-hmm. I know a girl. Okay, help ladies out. and gentlemen out there, you heard the okay. call. If you're looking for a co-host, reach oh, out. my Lanta. Is that? No. <laughs> oh. uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning into this or, or downloading it to your favorite podcatcher. If you want the show notes, there will probably be a couple books referenced, including March, I think. Um, go to mosby.ca slash 035. That's CA. This is Canada. That's how we do things here. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you both so much, Betty. Thank you, as always, for being my occasional co-host. Maybe permanent one day, TBD. Someday. A girl can Kevin, dream. And th- thank you, sir. I really do appreciate the time we both do. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Betty. This Thanks, Kevin. All right. Bye, everybody. Oh, Peace out. wait. I can't do why because I need to tell you guys that there was another Kevin, Kevin McLeod, due to the music for this, uh, filmmusic.io. You can always get his music there. I like it. This one is called The Show Must Be Go, and it is uh, jaunty and enjoyable. Uh, Okay, that said, goodbye. Bye. 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 Dan, I just want to point out I have never seen you in a and that's weird. It's a bit well, different, right? Wear a I'll take mine off. See, I've never seen Kevin without it. Didn't want him to feel out of place. Right. Mm. Just tell it like it is.